0: Okay, today we are going to begin the end, um, if you will, of First John. Our text for today is First John, um, chapter five. And we're going to be looking specifically today, verses five, um, sorry, verses thirteen through seventeen. But this is really just a, a two-part sermon. So I'm going to begin the sermon today, if you will, and I will finish it, Lord willing, next week. So. Um, and, and then that will conclude next week, or when, whenever I'm able to finish it. That will then conclude First John. So, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to to First John, um, chapter five, and I'm going to read I'm going to read the entire text, which is going to be from 13 through through 21. But again, today we're going to be looking at verses 13, um, 13 through 17. is really, in part, John's conclusion of the text and where he gives his, um, more than anything, his purpose statement, why he wrote this letter, what he sought to accomplish with it, which we really know is God's purpose and what God sought to do with it, right? Because we know that it was God who ultimately wrote this letter but used John uh, to do it. So let's read um, again uh, 1 John uh, chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. he shall ask, and God who will give him life, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So John concludes his letter. I'm going to go ahead. I don't have an outline for you today. We are going to have an outline for next week, though. So again, it's it's two-part sermon, so next week's outline we'll cover. Uh, at least we'll have the first two points on there that we covered today. But I do want to just briefly outline um, these last couple verses or, or several verses of, of John's uh, letter here. Again, the reason right that John wrote this letter. right He says, I write these things to you right who believe in the name Of the Son of God, that you may know. I write these things that you may know. John writes so that Christians may have one confidence and eternal life. He writes so that Christians may have confidence and answered prayer. Those are the two points that we're gonna look at this morning, next week. He writes that Christians may have confidence in conquered sin. Christians may have confidence in our sonship, right? Our relationship as children of God, okay? And, and fifth, and finally, he writes so that Christians may have confidence in Jesus' divinity. So again, today we're going to look at the first two points. John writes so that Christians may have, one, confidence in eternal life. Two, confidence in answered prayer. Again, verse 13. I write these things to you. By these things, he's talking about this letter, okay? I wrote this, I wrote this letter, and we know that, again, ultimately, this is God speaking through John to us, right? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It's John's desire in writing this letter that believers would have confidence in in salvation, in fact, that they would know that they can know right It's as though he's saying, "I want you to know that you can know that you are saved right? because you can and you can have confidence in that salvation. Listen, only Christians, this makes sense of course, but only Christians can have confidence in salvation. Because only Christians can be saved, the point of that is this. I know it's, it's kind of a, a, a silly statement, right? Listen, all the false religions out there, right, um, none of them, right um, can have confidence or has confidence that, that they' are saved. Right? you You can ask the Muslim. Right. Specifically ask the Muslim if they can have confidence in their salvation, and specifically they'll tell you no, right? Because uh, Islam essentially teaches that you can't have confidence in being saved, that ultimately it's up to their false god, Allah, right, to determine that, I guess, post-mortem or ho- however that works. But but there is no confidence in salvation, right? Ask the false the false convert, the false believer, ask the ask the uh, Jehovah's Witness or the Mormon if they have confidence in their salvation, now, they might tell you yes, but we as believers know that since only Christians are saved, that only Christians can have confidence in salvation, and we can have confidence in salvation. So, how do you know that you're saved, right? Um, I mean, if if you were to ask me or Randy or, or anyone else, right? I, how do i how do I know that I'm saved? Maybe it's aI don't know that I'm saved. How do I know that i'm I'm saved? Or you might just rhetorically be asking, uh, maybe not rhetorically, but you might be asking just generally how how can a believer right someone who professes Christ, how can a person how can a person know if he or she is saved? Now listen, if you ask me this question, if you ask Randy, this question, I suspect, if you would ask most in this church, this question: um, How do I know that I'm saved? What I'm not going to usually we answer questions with questions, don't we? Right? Um, what I'm not going to respond to you with is: Have you asked Jesus into your heart? Um, you know, I really struggle with 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 that line of thinking, with that question, um, because I, I'm not convinced that I know what it means. I mean. I think I know what people think it means, right, um, or what they they want it to mean. But biblically, and this is why I struggle with that. Biblically, I, I don't know what that means. Uh, nowhere in Scripture does it does it explicitly say, "Ask Jesus in your heart to be saved," right? Um, and and as a result, you're never going to have me ask you that that question, right? Um, was there a time that you accepted Jesus? Was there a time that you asked Jesus? Uh, again, part of the problem with that, that, that questioning is we don't explicitly find it in Scripture like that. The other part of, of that questioning is this. I know personally numerous believers that would that, that I have no doubt are believers, and yet they would tell you not only do I not recall a time of specifically asking Jesus into my heart, I don't even know when I was saved. Like I don't, I don't remember like a, a particular point of, of conversion, right? Um, I look back over my life and 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 I recall, um, you know, where I was then, and where I am now, and and I know that at some point in that mix, God saved me, but but I don't remember a definite. A definite point of conversion. I'm not saying that's the the rule. What I'm saying is there are those who, who don't recall a definite time and place of conversion. Right? Randy does. Right? He remembers a, a definite time and place of conversion. Okay, I don't. Right? And I know that there are others that don't either. And so when we ask questions like, "Well, do you remember that one specific point in time of when you asked Jesus into your heart?" Right? And, and in a minute, uh, we'll look at that biblically. Right? Um, some are going to say yes and some are going to say no, but just because they say no doesn't mean they're, they're not saved. So, so follow me here, okay? Um, so I'm not going to ask you that. Now, now what would be biblical or more biblical, okay, than saying have you asked Jesus into your heart, you could say, um, do you recall a time in your life when you first, what, repented and believed? Right. When you when you and repentance and faith. Right. They, they go together. Right. Different sides of the same coin. OK. Repentance, faith and together. Do you recall a specific time and, and point in your life when you first what turned from sin and and in turning from sin. Right. Turned to Christ Right now, now that's that's biblical, and I think that's I think that's right questioning. And if by asking Jesus into your heart you mean repent and believe, okay, I'll, I'll accept that. But repent and believe is just not good, if anything, word choice. Right? But do you recall a time that you turned from yourself, turned from sin, and in turning from yourself in sin, turned to Christ in faith, trusting Him alone, right, for salvation? But again, there are those who would say. I don't, I don't recall that specific, that specific point. I mean, I think maybe, you know, maybe I did when I was, you know, 12 and and I remember this one time at camp or at church, but, but as I examine my life from then until 20, I, I don't know that that was genuine conversion. I'm just, I'm just not sure. But, but what I can tell you is I do, or I can look at a specific point in my life, say, you know, college years, mid twenties up until now, where I would say, undoubtedly, you know, know that I'm saved, I just don't recall that, that one point. Again, that's why just asking one simple question isn't isn't always the answer. I think a more um, a, a appropriate way to, to respond to the person that says, how do you know you're saved or how can I know that I'm saved? Uh, again, I think it's okay to, um, again, say, do you recall that time when you've repented and, and, and believed, right? But I think the real question to ask is, are you... Um, continuing in repentance, right? We understand that repentance in faith, right, initially happens unto salvation, okay? But for the true believer, there will be ongoing repentance in his or her lives, right? Where there will be a pattern of repentance, right? We understand that when you're saved, you just don't automatically stop sinning, right? I was saved and I haven't sinned since, James says, Right? You say that, you're a liar. I think it's James, right? And the truth isn't in you, okay? We understand that sanctification is a growth process. So for the one who is saved, who initially at one point, whether or not they remember it or not, repents and believes, will continue in that. And that continued repentance is fruit of salvation. So in answering that question, right, and dealing with this issue of how do you know that you're saved, how can I have, as John addresses here, how can I have confidence in salvation, right, and addressing that, what we need to address, what we need to question is fruit of salvation, right? What What is the fruit in your life that bears witness? Is there fruit in your life that bears witness to salvation? Not have you said the prayer, Okay. We understand that just simply saying something doesn't save anyone, right? But We know that when an individual turns from sin and turns to Christ, God saves that individual, not on the basis of anything that they did, but on the basis of what Christ has done. And we know then, for the one whom God has saved, there will be fruit in that person's life, right? Sometimes it's small fruit, right? Sometimes it's big fruit, right? But nonetheless, there will be fruit. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 and 18. Jesus addresses this issue of of fruit. I know specifically in the context of this he was talking about, I believe, false teachers. But we understand that this this applies um, nonetheless to um, everyone. Matthew, again, 7, 16 through 18. Now, again, speaking of... Actually, I'll start in 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So we understand the context of this passage. He's talking about false prophets, but what he's about to talk about regarding fruit in an individual's lives applies to all of us as well. He says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Okay, Our grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. All right. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. All right. We can go back and we can we can even substitute if we want to. And I think it's I think it's fair to do it with this passage. I wouldn't say you can always do this, but every Christian bears good fruit. Every true believer bears good fruit. That's the context of what he's talking about. He's talking about false prophets. We could say true prophets. We could say false converts. We could say true converts. We could say believers. We could say non-believers. Every believer bears good fruit, right? but the diseased, the non-believer, bears bad fruit. A healthy tree, a believer, cannot bear bad fruit. A healthy believer cannot bear bad fruit. Nor a diseased or an unbeliever bear good fruit. Okay. So the point is this, that there will be fruit right in the lives of believers so this letter right that John wrote addressing Christians gives evidence of salvation or evidences of salvation that will be present to some degree or another in the lives of all believers the point is to give Christians confidence that they are saved. Again, I want you to know that you can know that you are saved. John wants you to know that you can know that you are saved. Ultimately, God wants you to know that you can know right, that you are saved. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to summarize 1 John regarding evidence, which is a great way that he ends the letter. It's a great way to end the letter. But I want to summarize 1 John. First John, regarding evidence, fruit of salvation. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, um, as I list out these, these scripture references to you and for you, I'm not going to read all of them because if I did, I'd just end up reading the entire letter right now okay so what i'm going to do is i'm going to summarize them by passage and then i'm going to even read um just select portions of those passages to emphasize these evidences of salvation these fruit of salvation that that john gives so we can if you want just turn all the way to first john and just work through uh through first john with me as we go over and summarize these now now you're going to note that there's going to be some repetition okay again it's not me it's, it's God. So apparently, you know, he has a reason for emphasizing uh, at least some of these fruit or some of these evidences, okay? So let's turn back now to 1 John chapter 1. All right, 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to read to you verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to uh, purify us. I just lost my place. And to cleanse us, sorry, from all righteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. All right, so 1 John 1, 5 through 10, true believers, again, we're talking about fruit evidence, true believers will be walking in the light as he is. And the light. First John two one through six. He says, "True believers will live a life of repentance and a walk in righteousness." I'm going to read to you verses four and five of of chapter two. Whoever says, "I know him," but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him. Truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. 1 John 2 7 through 14, he says that true believers, again, evidence, true believers will love other believers. 2 10 and 11, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Verses 18 through 27 of chapter 2. True believers will affirm the deity of Jesus. Verse 23 of chapter 2. No one who denies the Son specifically regarding his deity no one who denies the son has the father whoever confesses the son has the father also fruit of salvation true believers proclaim the deity of christ all right 1 john 2:28 through 3:10 true believers will practice righteousness as a result of salvation, right? We don't practice righteousness to get saved, only as a result of salvation. True believers will practice righteousness and will live repentantly. Uh, 229 and 36. 229, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Again, the practicing righteousness is a result of being born of him doesn't result in being born. And then three six. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. Uh, again, think back to when we went through all this, and I hope your mind is spurred as we're, as we're reviewing this. Again, keeps on sinning doesn't mean you're saved and you stop sinning, right? What are you talking about? He's talking about willful, right? Intentional, wanted sin that, that's unrepentant, meaning I'm sinning, I love my sin, and I'm not turning from it. Okay. Anyone who keeps on sinning has not been what born of him. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. So true believers as evidence of salvation or well, what will live repentantly, right? I mean, I don't want to sin. I do. So do you, right? And when I do sin, I'm I'm grateful for the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings and and as he brings that, I I, I want to repent. I want to I want to turn from that. I want to, I want to stop doing that right? And that should be the characteristic of your life. We all sin. We know that every day, right? And we understand that sometimes, and we talk about sins of uh, omission. Sometimes we don't do the things that we should do. We've got sins of commission, right? Sometimes we do the things that we shouldn't do. And we do understand that even as believers, right? Sometimes we, we do. We, we intentionally we intentionally sin. But I don't want that, right? If you're a true believer, you you're not as a pattern of, of your life as the overall desire of of your heart. I want that. I think of Paul, that, that conflict. I'm trying to do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do do. And, I, I mean, and it's, this, it's this deep conflict because I sin, and and I don't want to sin. And when I do sin, I'm just so sick over that sin and, and what I'm doing, not simply to me, but what I'm doing to Christ. And and again, that's going to be a pattern in the true believer's life, that they that they hate their sin and they want to... They want to grow in holiness, if you will, as they continue to turn away from it. Okay, First um, John three eleven through twenty four. Well, three eleven says this: For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Again, right? True believers will love other believers as a pattern of their life. First uh, John four one through six. True believers, again, he's he's emphasizing this here. True believers will affirm the deity of Jesus. Verses 2 and 3, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Again, specifically concerning the deity of Christ. Again, 4, 7 through 21, true believers will what? Will love other believers. 4, 7, right? We should know this by heart. And if you don't or we don't, we need to commit this to memory. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. True believers will love other believers. 5, John, 1 John 5, 1 through 5. I'm just going to read that for you. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So again, it's evidence, it's fruit of salvation. True believers will love God, love others, devotionally obey Christ's commands. And again, in 1 John 5, 6-12, through true believers will affirm that Jesus is the divine Christ. 5.10 says, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Okay. Quick summary. 1 John concerning evidence of salvation, concerning fruit of salvation. And again, this is just, this is just from 1 John. We know there's other evidences, other, other fruit, right? But this is what John, what God, right, is addressing. So... You ask the question, how do I know that I'm saved? Right? How can a believer know that he or she is saved? And again, I'm not going to I'm not going to respond to you and say, "Well, do you remember a time when you walked down front and you said a prayer?" Okay. Based on 1 John, what I'm going to ask you is this. Are you living a repentant life? seeking to constantly turn from sin and obediently walk in righteousness. Evidences of salvation. Right. Do you love God? Do you love others? Do you have a hatred for this world, the world's systems? Right. Again, evidences salvation. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he Messiah? Christ? Savior? Is he God? See, if you can answer yes to all these questions, then you can have confidence in your eternal salvation. And we understand there is no perfection in these areas, right? Again, sanctification is a growth process so you might say well (laughs) i really struggle loving people (laughs) i do all right i'll admit it as we've been talking about over the past several weeks it's hard to love people people aren't lovely and lovable right and it's a struggle in which i personally (laughs) thankfully am growing in right and i want to grow in that i want to love people more i want to love god more right I want to I grow, if you will, in holiness, right? As I continue to, to, to live repentantly. I want my understanding of, of Christ's divine nature to grow and my just zeal over that and for him to grow. I want that for you. All right, so we understand that it's, it, 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 is, it is a process. So, so it's, not, it's not perfection, right? What if you can't answer yes to these questions? Then, then where does that leave you? Where does where does that leave a person? I, th- I think John has made it clear where that leaves a person. If you if you say you love God and you don't love others, then then you don't love God and you're not a believer, right? If you deny the Son, you deny the Father and you're not a believer, right? If you love your sin, then you don't love Christ, right? So, again, that causes not just simply for reflection, but I think that 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 demands action, right? If you can't answer, yes. And I think that action is to repent and believe and be saved and then grow in these areas like the rest of us. So again, John's first reason, God's first reason, right, um, for us anyway in writing this letter was that we would have confidence in our salvation. I want you to know, that you can know, and I want you to know, right? All right. The second is this, is that we can have confidence and answered prayer. Listen, God, one, God hears our prayers, okay, and God answers prayer. Let's look at Psalm 34. Psalm 34, uh, verses 15 through 17. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their trouble. said, so God hears our prayers. And he answers our prayers. According to 1 John again 5, he says, and this is, uh, uh, sorry, First John chapter five verse fourteen, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and if we know that He hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, all right, pray, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that did not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Listen, if we ask according to his will, right, that is what he wants. Now, now we don't always know. I mean, we can. I mean, God in his word reveals specifically, right, what his will is regarding certain things. But we know that, that um regarding maybe circumstances in, in our individual lives, in someone's life, I, I think of someone who's sick, right? So and so has been diagnosed with X, right? It's our desire to see so and so healed of of X, right? As we're crying out to God for healing, we might not know in that moment what God's will is. Is it God's will to heal him or her physically? Is it is it not, right? And so, what do we do as believers in those circumstances, right? We make our requests known to God, but we submit those requests to God's will. Right? Um, the supreme example that we have of this is is Christ, right? When he was crying out in the garden, um, let's look at that. Luke 22. Luke twenty-two verse um, forty-two. Saying again, this is this is understand Jesus right speaking here specifically quoting him saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this this cup from me, right. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So he, he makes his request known to God. God, remove this cup of wrath from me, if you're willing. But then he says, well, it's not not my will, but your will. So even though Christ makes his request known, he subjects that request to the will of the Father. So God, hears our prayers. God answers prayer, but God answers prayer according to his will. Right? He knows best. Father, as I was studying this, I thought, you know, Father knows best. There's a sermon. If you, if you haven't ever listened to it, I know some of you have, you know, and it's not completely related, it's not related to this text at all, but Ligan Duncan um, at the 2012 Together for the Gospel um, Conference, he preached a, a sermon called The Un- Underestimated God. And he was dealing with um disappointment that we as believers face right and and he come- coming back to throughout the sermon father knows best right and so as i as I read that and I thought about that, you know father knows best right, and he does God knows best, and as believers we can have confidence that not, not only he hears us but we can have confidence that he will answer us according to his will, which is best now. Christ's example that we have there he he makes his request known to God and he says yet yeah, not my will but but your will be done okay John and and again that's that's one of those well, we know that it was the father's will to crush the son right um, but that's one of those examples where we have Christ saying this is what I desire but I want what you desire right um, we know that there are examples where again as as one of us gets sick and we cry out for God for healing we we Initially, we're not going to know. I mean, is it God's will for this person to be healed? We know that God will heal him, right? Either in life or in death. Okay, but but we want them healed in life. I mean, that's that's typically what we're we're asking for, is not it? It, it it is right. But in that moment, we don't know God's will. Uh, but there are examples where from Scripture that we clearly do know God's will. And so John gives us John gives us an example of that. So we're gonna we're gonna work through that now, and um, and it's verses 16 through through 17, which is a, a very Probably at first, when you read it, I'll say, um, interesting passage. So again, let's read 16 and 17 here. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. And all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Okay, Sometimes, a Christian's sin is so severe and egregious, if you will, before God, that he disciplines that believer with sudden and immediate death. That's, that's, again, that's not the point of this text, but we gain that from this, this text. I mean, we know that all sin leads to death, though, right? I mean, Romans 6:23, right? At least the first part. For the wages of sin is, is death. I mean, we we get that all sin leads to death, right? Um, but but John says here sometimes, like like someone commits a sin that's so severe that God's like, enough. That's it. Done. Um, one. I mean, we can't say what sin, right? He, he doesn't he doesn't list that. Um, if you do this. You will die immediately. If you don't do this, but it's still sin, you won't die immediately. So we have, have have boundaries. Well, I can I can commit these sins and not be killed right now, or I can commit these sins and then life snuffed out. Okay, um, that's that's not that's not what it gives us. That's that's not the point. Um, but we do understand that he's most likely speaking of unrepentant, habitual, intentional sin. Again, where it's so severe. In the eyes of God, that He says enough, and we have an example of that, don't we? Um, that's the example of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, let's look at that real quick at Acts chapter five. It would be, I think, uh, uh, shameful on my part to not not consider this text because when we first read that, we think, "What? Now God doesn't do that? I mean, God? I mean, I I couldn't do something because my sin has been forgiven as far as the east is from the west, right? So." God wouldn't discipline me for my sin. No, God still disciplines us when we sin, right? Yes, it has been forgiven as far as the east is from the west, and it has. But yet God still disciplines us when, when we sin. And we see this with Anani- <clears throat> excuse me. Ananias and Sapphira. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it, laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back yourself, for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men but to God. When Ananias heard these words... He fell down and he breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. And the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him, out of the, carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. I think in part John might have been even referring to this passage when he was saying that there's sin that leads to death and sin that doesn't lead to death. It had to be in his mind. I mean, he, he, I mean, it wasn't like it happened five generations before John, right? No, I mean, it happened. He was, I suspect, there, right? I don't know. I mean, it says Peter, but uh, I suspect he was, he was a part of that, okay? So he's, he's thinking about that. Now, listen... Um, Thankfully, this is the exception and not the rule, right? Um, for I fear that if it were the rule, none of us would be here today. I mean, how many of us have made, God, I promise, right? I mean, they lied to God, and was it. And I can think of a time or two in my life where I said, God, you know, if, if, if you do this, then I will do this. Listen, it's very dangerous to make promises to God. I think Ananias and Sapphira are, are evidence of that. I'm I'm not saying that if you break a promise to God that you're going to kill over over dead. Um, but it's not the rule. It is the exception, thankfully, right, for his grace and his mercy and his long-suffering are amazing. Um, the rule, then, is that the vast majority of sins, and, and this is getting to the point of what John is, is, is ultimately doing or addressing with this example. However, I, I think it was important that we briefly examine what does he mean there's sins that lead to death, right? And and I think it is something that we should stop, take note of and say, wait, God, God treats this whole sin thing serious, right? Because it is serious, The point of this passage isn't that we should try to figure out what sins lead to a swift death and whether or not they've been committed by us or have been committed by someone else. The point is that we should be praying as an act of love for other believers, that they would one, be kept from sin, and two would repent from sin when when they do sin. Again, this is what he's talking about. We pray, right? Pray according to God's will. God hears our prayers, God answers our prayers prayers, right? Listen, it's God's desire, and this is specifically where we know God's will, and we can specifically pray for God's will. It's God's desire for Christians to live repentantly, right? we, we, We saw that in 1 John as we just summarized it. We also see it in Romans chapter 6. Romans 6 verses 1 through 11. 1-11, If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's a description of a repentant life right? Considering yourself dead to sin. You're going to sin until Christ calls you home or until he returns, right. And I don't say that to justify it, right? By no means, as, as Paul would say, I don't want to sin. I don't want you to sin. I, I hate it, but yet we do, right? And yet we should live as though we're dead to it, right? And, and when we find ourselves having sinned and the Holy Spirit convicts us of that, makes us aware of it through his word, through another believer confronting us with his word, That our response should be what? It should be to to, to turn from it. Consider ourselves dead to it. It's God's desire for Christians to live repentantly, and it's His desire for Christians to walk in righteousness. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 19. through 17, 119. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls but be doers of the word and not only hearers or not and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres in the world. Listen, it's God's desire, one, for Christians to live repentantly. Two, it's God's desire that Christians would walk in righteousness. So, this example that John gives. When we, as believers, Christians, pray for other believers to live repentantly and walk in righteousness, we are praying according to God's will And we can have confidence that God not only hears our prayer or prayers, but we can have confidence that God will answer those prayers. So again today we've examined these first two points that it's God's desire, right? Revealed in 1 John that we have confidence in our salvation because we can. We can know that we are saved. And two, that we can have confidence that God not only hears our prayers, but that God answers our prayers when we subject our desires, our will, ultimately to his will. We can be confident that God's will will be done. Again, next week, um, Lord willing, next week, we'll, we'll conclude these um, last three points. We'll conclude First John as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Um, Thank you for saving us, doing for us that which we could not do for ourselves. Um, Jesus, you are the giver of life. You are the author of spiritual life. You are Lord and you are Savior. Our salvation really isn't our salvation. It's it's your salvation. You, you accomplished it. You gave it. You guarantee it. And Lord, you've promised us that we can know that we're saved. And so we thank you for that confidence. We thank you for that assurance that you provide to us. And I pray, Lord, that... You would, one, make the evidence in our lives as believers clear that we would have confidence and that we would boldly stand on that confidence. Lord, and when we, when we question, when we doubt, Lord, if, if any of us are not truly born again, Father, I pray that you would, you would grant repentance and faith, Lord, and that you would do again what only you can do, and that is to save, and that as a result we would praise you because you will be glorified as you continue to save many. We know that you save for your glory and for our good. But we also know that we can have confidence in the fact that you not only hear us when we pray but that you do answer prayers. Lord, it's it's my desire that my will would be would be your will. Lord, I want my my heart, I want the desires of my heart to to reflect you and and yours. I I want that for this church. Jesus, we we want we want that. And we we pray that you would that you would do that in us. Lord, that we would have supreme confidence in you that when you act, you act for your glory, for our good, according to your will, which we know is perfect. Again, Jesus, we love you and we praise you for you alone are worthy of all of our worship, all of our love, all of our affection. Amen.